Well, we are in our sixth week of our Experiencing God series. I hope you're following along with us. I hope you're memorizing Scripture as we go along. Uh, In your workbook this week, you'll be in Unit 6, so you can find that and follow along with us. This past week in our workbook and then this upcoming week, we're in this kind of two-part series in our workbook where we are talking about God Speaks. It reminded me of this story. Um, How many of you, I don't know if y'all are aware of this, uh, how many of y'all have refrigerators in your, like currently, okay? Apparently there was a time before refrigerators, so I hear. Um, I don't know if any of y'all remember this or are aware of this, but they had these things called ice houses, okay? And uh, these things have thick walls. There's no windows in them. The door to them, they're sealed tightly to try to keep everything in there as cool as possible. And what they would do is in the winter, when the lakes or the streams would freeze over, they would go cut out these blocks of ice. And so they would, they would carry them back to the ice houses, cover them in sawdust, and this is, this is how they froze things. And some of, sometimes the ice would last even into the summer, which is remarkable. Um, but there was this one story of a man who lost his watch as he's carrying ice into the ice house. So he goes back and he's looking for it. He's looking through the sawdust. He's looking through everything, pushing it all out of the way. He gets his buddies to come help him and they're looking and they can't find his watch. And so they finally give up and this little boy kind of overhears what's happening. And so he sneaks in without him knowing and a few minutes later he emerges from the ice house holding the watch. And the guy's astounded. His friends are too. They're like, we search. Like how can we search for this? I mean, the ice house isn't that big. And we can't find it, and yet you go in and you find it. And so he tells them, he says, well, I walked in, I closed the door, and I laid on the floor silently until I could hear the ticking of the watch. Sometimes we can desire to hear God speak. And in desiring something that is good, we can try to make ourselves busy with doing things to produce God's speaking. And we can be like these men who are in the ice house who are searching and who are working and doing these things. And the very things they are doing are the things they need to stop doing in order to find the watch, in order to be able to hear the ticking. Many times we need to be still. We need to quiet our souls. It's not in the doing, it's in the being. And so this morning as we're talking about God's speaking, it's probably a lot less of what we need to do than who we need to be. And that's going to be tough. Because we feel productive in doing, we feel unproductive when we're just being. And that's exactly the point. It's not about us. It's about God. Reality number four in our Experiencing God series says that God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself his purposes, and his ways. What I want to do this morning is just kind of go and break this up into a few different sections and and talk about this. God speaks. That's the first thing. God speaks. But something to be aware of is that God speaks in different ways many times, right? God speaks to different people at different times in different ways. It doesn't always have to be the same way. There's no process. There's no program. There's no pattern to who or how or when God speaks. But what we are to do is we are called, whenever God does speak, to listen and to obey, 
people talk about their burning bush experience and, you know, all these things. And the, the thing is, we only see this once in Scripture where God speaks to Moses in the Old Testament through the burning bush. We never see that again. And it's like God knows that if he, he knows us better than we know ourselves, right? We just talked about the God of knowledge. And so he knows if he were to speak in the same way, the same method every time, we would begin to worship the method over the message. In fact, talking about the burning bush, did you know there is a Mount Sinai monastery? They actually, apparently, uh, they claim to have found the burning bush uh, taken it and moved it and then built a monastery on the roots of the burning bush, okay? So again, just further saying, if, if, if God spoke the same way every time, we would easily begin to kind of lift up the methods over the message. Th- that God spoke is the most important factor. That's the most important factor. It's not how he spoke, but it's that he spoke. We see many times with Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon even, many others throughout Scripture where God's speaking to them, and we don't always know exactly how. It just says the Lord said this. But then there are other times that are abnormal where someone appears or there's a burning bush experience, right? In Genesis 15, we see this with Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Joshua 5, with Joshua, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? With Gideon in Judges 6, an angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abysrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So when God speaks, he's clear. There's no, there's no question about who's speaking or what he's saying or what we're to do, but the method in which he uses may be different. It doesn't always have to be the same. We can't simply apply the scientific method to the way God speaks. Here's step one, two, and three, and if you get these situations right or these circumstances, then we can create God speaking at some point. We can't do that. And so it's not a cryptic message. It's not something we have to seek out. We simply have to be. So God speaks, number one, but then secondly, we see God speaks by the Holy Spirit. God speaks by his Holy Spirit. It's, a, un, it's important to understand this separation here. And I want to be very careful. I want you to understand me, okay? This is the third party of the Trinity, equally God, and yet he submits himself in his role and in the way he operates to the Father and to the Son. But the way that God speaks is not by the Bible or by prayer or by circumstances or by the church. It's by the Holy Spirit through the methods and avenues of the Bible, prayer, circumstances in the church, right? God has inspired his word by the Holy Spirit to men to write and to put these words down of his so that we can have them. But the thing is, Satan knows the Bible. Plenty of unsaved people read the Bible and they can learn it and they can understand it from a historical point of view. And yet God doesn't speak. What is powerful is when we're in God's word and his Holy Spirit within us, 
is speaking to us and reveals truth to us. This is, the, this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. So truth is never discovered. Truth is revealed. Again, these are methods that God's using through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, through the church. God speaks through his Holy Spirit or by his Holy Spirit through these different methods. And this truth is revealed by his Holy Spirit. We can't dig enough. We can't learn enough. We can't research enough on our own to find truth. It has to be revealed to us. We see that he is, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth many times. In John 14, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. In verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And again, in John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So God speaks by the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, the church, to reveal himself, his purpose, and his ways. So now let's focus on this. To reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. This is the why behind God speaking. It's not for results. It's not for success. It's not just plans for moving forward. It is to reveal himself to us. Reality number two in our series, remember it says God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. It's not just so that we know the next steps to take. It's not just so that we know, okay, this is what you want from me now and this is what I'm supposed to do. That's a very small mindset to have. In fact, it reminded me a lot of playing Candyland with my kids, right? We just want to know, is it my turn yet? Can I go? How many spaces can I go? Did I get the gumdrop? Do I have to go all the way back? What, what's going on? And sometimes that's how we can be. God, just tell me what do I do? Do I get two oranges? Can I go? Do I have to wait? Is it my turn yet? And God speaks to reveal himself in order to have a relationship. That's his desire. It's not just for us to know what's next, but it's to know him, his ways, so that we can know him deeper through that relationship. So God reveals himself to increase faith that leads to action. God reveals himself to grow our relationship with us, but also it should influence our obedience thereafter then. There should be an overflow into our lives. It shouldn't just sit there. And so he reveals to us his, his name, his nature, his character, just like we've been talking about the names of God. We've looked at many of them. We learn more about who he is, what he promises to do, and who he promises to be for us so that we can call out on those names so that it grows our faith to be able to move forward into whatever he's calling us to do. He's our provider. He's the God who sees. He's the God of knowledge, the ancient of days, whatever it is. It's so that it grows our faith to be able to obey. He reveals himself to increase faith that leads to action. Think of Abraham. When he revealed himself to Abraham, he told him, I'm going to make of you a great nation generations, your offspring. I'm going to be faithful to them. And so Abraham was able to trust him, right? But 
not only is he going to provide for them a, a son, he's going to provide his steadfast love for his entire family after him. And so here then, moving forward in Genesis 22, when God comes back to Abraham and says, hey, remember that son I gave you? God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, just in case you were concerned or confused, your only son, take him whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering to one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Look at that, the God of knowledge. God knows that Abraham loves Isaac. He, he calls it out here. The son whom you love, that's who I want you to sacrifice. God does that in our lives. The very things we love, the very things we value. Sometimes even the very things he gave us is what he asks of us. But that encounter with God grew Abraham's faith. So when Abraham is now having to offer up his son Isaac, he said, God was faithful to give me this son. He promised to be with my offspring for generations to come that I will never see. And so why should I not trust God with my only son Isaac now? And so the revelation of who God was established Abraham's faith in such a way that led him to obey when God spoke, even though it was threatening the very thing that God had given him in the first place, the very thing Abraham and Sarah had longed for, the thing that they had waited for about 25 years for after God had first told them about this. As God reveals himself, it gives us a proper view of who we are and whose we are. It's like a sponge Think about it. When the sponge, it, it soaks up the liquid that's all around it. But then it has to be squeezed in order to be able to be filled again. It's not just to sit there and soak that up. If it's going to be used again, it's got to be squeezed. And so we want to soak up who God is and trust him for what he gives us. But often... We don't want to be squeezed. We don't want to have to give it back. We don't have to want to entrust God with the things that he had given us in the first place, no matter what it is. Our family, our wealth, our positions, our roles, our leadership, whatever it is. How often are we confused and frustrated and angry at God? And if we get down to the bottom of it, it's simply for God asking for the very things that he gave to us in the first place. And we don't even realize this is the very thing keeping us from being filled again. Think if Abraham had kept Isaac, the very thing that God promised would not have been able to be done. And yet because Abraham was willing to give up Isaac, God was able to bless him and to bring these generations that he was never going to experience or see. Abraham knew that God would provide in some way because God revealed himself to him earlier and Abraham trusted he believed God to be faithful. And so he trusted that promise for the future generations that God was going to work a miracle one way or another. So when Abraham's walking up the mountain with Isaac and Isaac says, hey, we've got the wood. We've got everything needed here for a great sacrifice. We're just missing one thing, the sacrifice. Abraham's able to say, God will provide. Because in that moment, what he knew was that God was either going to provide a sacrifice or he would provide a son. One way or the other. God was going to either provide a sacrifice or he was going to provide a son. And so he trusted. 
Abraham trusted God in all of that. So God reveals himself, but God also reveals his purposes. He reveals his purposes so you'll know what he plans to do. Reality number three in our study said that God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Notice this, that God reveals his purposes not so you can do them, not so I can do them, not so we can get to work, but so that we know what he is doing. It's not about us. It's about what God wants to do. It's not that we do nothing. It's not that we do everything, but it's ultimately more about God than us. We like to turn that in on ourselves very often. But God chooses to involve us and use us, not because he's limited in any way or requires our cooperation and what he wants to do, but it's for our sake, again, to grow that relationship with him, to grow our faith in him. He knows what we need. He knows how meaningful that is to us. And if we're to join God where he's working, we have to understand his purposes so that we know what he plans to do. Otherwise, we keep guessing we may do these things that we think are good, and it's about as useful as Noah planning a fishing trip when God's planning the flood. It's no point. In Judges 7 with Gideon, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever's fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Now, I don't know if you know much about military strategy, but that's a terrible one, okay? That's, that's awful. I know this enough to know that more people in your army, more soldiers is better than less soldiers, okay? That's what you're trying to do, right? I've played risk enough to know this. But here's the thing. Gideon here is saying, God, you, we've got 32,000 people. He says, yeah, that's too many. They're just going to think that they want on their own, and I don't want them to do that. I want them to know that I provided. So he sends 22,000 home, and he has 10,000 remaining. Gideon says, all right, God, wow, this is going to be a miracle if you can pull this off. And God says, oh, I'm not done yet. And Gideon's like, what? It's not about winning the battle. It's about God's glory. That's what God's ultimately concerned about. And that's why he does what he does. In fact, again, God comes back and he says, Gideon, you've got too many men. And Gideon's like, listen, we've been through this before. I don't know if you remember this. We already sent plenty of people home. He says, the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths as they're getting water, That was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So 32,000 down to 10,000, down to 300. Not only here does Gideon take less men, he takes the worst men. Okay, imagine this. So God tells him to go to the river go drink. And so he says, okay, the men who are down on one knee, right? They're, they're bringing the water up. They're attentive. They're able to look. They're able to see out. If anybody, if any enemy comes, they're able to be in action, right? They've got one hand on their sword. They've got one hand getting water up, right? That's, that's great. The other guys are just face down in the water, like lapping it up like a dog. They're just, they're thirsty. They're not paying attention. A circus could move in behind them. They're not going to know at all. So he says, okay, Here are the two different groups. Gideon's like, all right, I could do that with 9,700. He goes, no, 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 not those. I want you to take the 300. So here we've got, let's, a little more modern day here. 
9,700 Jack Bowers, okay? These are the kind of people you want in your army, okay? The people who can solve the world's problems in about an hour. And this guy's not going to take any junk. He's ready to go. He's going to do whatever it takes. And then, on the other hand, you've got about 300 gomers and goobers, okay, for Andy Griffith fans. All right, they're over there. They're like playing with their swords and their arrows, poking each other. They're picking their teeth. They're using them as back scratchers, you know, all these things. They're over there just goofing around, and God says, yeah, I'm going to take them. And Gideon's like, oh, come on. Come on. And what God is saying here is that he can do more with 300 goobers and gomers than 9,700 Jack Bowers can do on their own. That's in the original Hebrew. You have to look deep for that one. But that's essentially, that's essentially what he's saying. It makes no sense humanly speaking. But with God, all things are powerful or all things are possible. And he's saying, I'm doing this for my glory even though it doesn't make sense. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He reveals himself, he reveals his purposes, and he reveals his ways. God reveals his ways to us because they're the only means to accomplish his purposes. Again, we talked about this. God's ways may be different, but they're important because those are his ways of accomplishing his purposes. They're not important because this is the way he worked at one point, it's important because this is the way he is working now. And that's what makes him important. God doesn't always use the same way to carry out his purpose, but even though he may be carrying out the same purpose, it's like, it's like with Moses and the rock. He tells him to speak to it, then he tells him to, to, or he tells him to hit it, then he tells him to speak to it. Both times it's to accomplish the same purpose, to bring water from the rock. So each time God speaks, we have to be patient Wait on him to reveal himself and his purposes and his ways. Don't jump the gun. Don't assume what God is going to say before we know his ways. In Joshua 6, and the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall search around or march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. God's ways are to accomplish his purposes. But yet we never again see God tell Israel to conquer a city by walking around it in that same way. God told Moses, again, different ways to do different things. They part the Red Sea this way. They part the Jordan this way. There's there's different ways that God can use. Just like how God speaks in different ways. He uses different ways to accomplish his purposes for his glory, not for ours. The important thing is that we listen and we obey whenever he does reveal himself. 
Early on in our marriage, um, I remember Sydney making pancakes, and I, I'm watching her, and I was very surprised. Um, she had the box of pancake mix, and she had a bowl, and she just started dumping it. And then she took the bowl and put it under the sink and, like, put water in it, and then started stirring it up. And then she put more of the box and more water and kept And I'm like, you know, they make measurements for a reason. Like, there's a recipe on the box. I at least know that much. Like, there is a reason, right? That's the good thing about recipes. It's the same ingredients, the same measurements, because you can get the same outcome that way. But for her, it was, no, 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 I know how to do it. I'm just going to eyeball it. And so, but isn't that the truth? So whenever you're out eating, all right, you don't have to be here. You can go to any Chick-fil-A, any Chili's, any Longhorn Steakhouse, whatever it is. You go to a chain restaurant, you're going to get the same thing there that you get when you're at home. Why? Because it's the same ingredients. It's the same measurements, even though it's very different people putting it together probably. And that's the great thing about recipes. The thing is, God doesn't work with recipes. God doesn't do the same thing the same way every single time. For man, it makes sense. If this was successful, then let's do it again. Just copy, paste, let's do it. But with God, that's not how he works. It's not the ways that are powerful. It's the God who is in it all, who's powerful, to work things for his purposes, to reveal himself, to speak to us by his spirit. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. So what we have to come to is this point where we ask ourselves, what do we desire more? Do we desire God's presence or do we desire God's plans? Do we desire a relationship or do we desire desire results? Why do we want God to speak? Why are we asking him to work? Is it just so we know what's next? Are we so busy with doing and trying to seek out? Are we, are we like the men in the ice house, just digging through stuff, looking, looking, and really what we need to do is just stop and be quiet and be still to be able to hear that ticking, to be able to hear God speak. God speaks not just to give us results or to give us next steps. God speaks because it is an encounter with him. When God speaks, that is the encounter with him. And that's what he's inviting us into. We simply need to be patient, dwell, abide, remain in that relationship with him. Cherish it. Instead of always feeling like we have to be moving on to the next thing, like we've got a task list to punch out. We can so easily busy ourselves with good things that we're never able to actually be still and just know that he's God. I want to kind of end our time a little bit differently. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Um, I want to end our time a little bit differently, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. This is going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. It's okay. But I want us to take a moment and be still. I want us to take a moment and be quiet to limit the distractions. I want us to be able to hear God speak by his spirit through his word this morning, this morning in this moment to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways.
And so I'm, I'm going to read through Psalm 46. There's 11 verses, and three times in this passage, the word Selah is in there. Some have interpreted this to say, think on these things. Some have interpreted it more musical because the Psalms are musical. And this idea of intermission or interlude where the music would keep playing and people would stop singing and to be able to reflect on the words that have just been spoken or sung. And so in this moment, that's what I want us to do. I'm going to read a few verses. And when we get to that point, we're just going to stop and quiet our souls and listen. I would encourage you, either follow along as I read or close your eyes, just limit distractions. I know right now you got a lot going through your mind. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about this afternoon. You're thinking about this evening. You're thinking about tomorrow, what you got to do as soon as you get back to work, whatever it may be. But just stop. Maybe even take a deep breath and just focus yourself as we have this moment. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah.
God, we quiet our souls. To come before you with reverence, with anticipation and expectation for you to speak by your spirit through your word to reveal yourself to us. God, we pray that you would help us to see that it is not so much about us when you speak as it is about you. God, forgive us. We thank you that you're with us, that you are our fortress, that we can trust in you and that we can know that you are God. You care for us. You love us. God, we ask you to work in our hearts as only you can through your spirit. Speak to us. And God, as we've seen through examples of Abraham, Joshua, Gideon, God, give us the faith we need to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. when you reveal yourself, that it would grow our faith to be able to follow in obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.